Hello, welcome to Beer in a Movie, the podcast where we... I'm going to skip the intro today because this episode is going to be a little bit different than our normal format rather than doing the two beers and the two movies as we normally do and going in-depth and discussing those things. We have the uh, privilege of being able to bring you an episode where... Uh, two of our co-hosts, David and Ethan, they, uh, two of our co-hosts, David and Ethan, had the opportunity to interview the founder of a Seattle fermenter, not brewery, a fermenter, it'll make sense when you listen to the episode, named Amber Watts of Garden Path Fermentation in Skagit Valley, Washington. So if you if you turn this episode on, hoping for movies and beer you're only getting beer today. So if that's not your bag, come check out our episode next week where we will be talking about Jordan Peele's latest film, Us. But if you're interested in hearing a conversation with the founder of a brewery who talks about their overall mission, the way that they brew their beers and mead and other things, what makes what sets them apart, all of those kinds of things. You want to get into the nitty-gritty process of brewing and what makes a beer taste the way it does, then this is the episode for you. And we hope you enjoy. We hope that we can provide you more specially formatted episodes such as this in the future. Let us know what you think about this episode and about this format. If you like it, go ahead and rate us. Give us five stars on iTunes. Leave a review. If you have anything else you want to get at us, or you can find us on Twitter, at Beer Movie Show, on Instagram, at Beer in a Movie, and on Facebook, at Beer in a Movie TX. We hope you enjoy this interview with Amber Watts. Thanks to David and Ethan for taking the time out of their busy schedules when they were up there in the Pacific Northwest to be able to do this, and for recording it since I was not there to assist. Um, fair warning there, this is more or less a field recording. They're just at the tasting room. So there's some background noise and there is some kind of audio interference at some point. So if you really hate audio problems, then if that triggers you, this might not be your thing. It's a great episode. The majority of it sounds great. The whole interview and conversation is great. So until next week, adios. about yourself and what you're doing here? I could do that. <laughs> I used to be a uh, professor of media studies and now I own a brewery. Um, clearly a direct path from point A to point B. <laughs> um, basically, uh, I had a job at a department that was not the best fit for me. And at that point, my partner was a partner at a brewery in Austin, Texas. And so instead of going back on the market in the recession, where I would probably get a job in rural Idaho, um, we decided to move to Austin. And I got a job in publishing, but gradually just got sucked into brewery life. And a couple of years ago, we decided we wanted to start our own project. And Texas is not necessarily the best place to grow your own ingredients. We wanted to be close to the source of everything we were making. So we moved to rural Skagit County, Washington, which is unlike anywhere that I've lived. But uh, we started a project called Garden Path Fermentation. And we make products that are 
uh, unique to our area. Everything is fermented with a native yeast culture. All of our malt is grown within 10 miles of the brewery. And uh, all of our hops come from the Pacific Northwest and all of our adjuncts are from the county. So we're doing something that's a little unique here and it's been, it's been a ride. How long have you uh, been open? We opened almost a year ago. So um, according to my Facebook memories today, we laid our floor drain a year ago today, which is very, very exciting. Um, it's not actually that exciting unless you own a brewery and then you understand the importance of a floor drain. But it's, um, we signed a lease on this building in September of 2017. We spent a year before that trying to find a site. And one thing that we didn't realize about starting a brewery is finding a site is actually probably the hardest part of it. Um, some people get really lucky and just stumble on something right away. But we have a friend with a brewery up in Bellingham who signed leases on five spots until he actually found the space that he was operating in. So having only a year before we signed a lease was great. Um, there were a lot of stumbles along the way. Um, we really want to open on a farm because we have this little corner we've painted ourselves into where we want to source everything locally. And as a brewery, we are also a winery and cidery. Um, ingredients for beer aren't that hard to source locally, but wine grapes and cider apples, it would be great to be able to grow those ourselves. And they will grow here. Um, just not a lot of people are doing so commercially. So we'd love to have a farm, but finding a farm site that has water rights, that has uh, ideally sewer and not septic, um, and is zoned appropriately so we can have a tasting room and hopefully down the line a farm-to-table restaurant. It, there's probably a parcel that exists in this county, but it's like a magical unicorn that we haven't found yet. So it'll happen. So you got a good spot to sit and uh, wait and yeah. develop. We figured it was a good idea to actually open instead of just like waiting to find <laughs> the magical unicorn. So we're in an industrial building at the Port of Skagit, which is actually a really awesome area. There's five breweries within a half mile of here, or five licensed breweries. They're not all, none of them are really big, but we have Chuckanut Brewing next door. There is a uh, brewing program at the local college that's located uh -huh. here. Um, Skagit Valley Malting, where we source all our malt, is a licensed brewery. And then there's a place called Flyers, which is an outpost for a brewery in Oak Harbor. Um, but they're all just like on this strip right here. We also have uh, the Washington State University Bread Lab, which does some really mind-blowing research into grain. Mm -hmm. King Arthur Flour has a baking school. There's also a flour company and a mill here. So this is kind of a weird grain mecca. <laughs> um, and the valley is actually really starting to be known for its grain, which is awesome. Um, Skatcha Valley Melting actually started because the founder retired here. Um, this is after his fourth career. Um, he was a fighter pilot, and then no one's supposed to know this, but he was in the CIA. <laughs> and um, then he made a lot of money in software, and he retired here to fly his planes. But uh, his name is Wayne Carpenter. He's the most charismatic person on the planet. Within probably two weeks of living here, he'd met everyone in the county. And he learned that farmers here, like, 
historically they have grown grain, but there was no market for it. They needed it as a rotational crop for the soil, um, but they couldn't sell it. So farmers were growing these really cool heirloom varieties of barley that were just getting mowed down every year. Huh. And so he got together with a retired NASA engineer and invented a malting machine. Wow. <laughs> um, and they're just right down there. So yeah, having that as a resource is something that's really, really magical. No one has that. So. So obviously, if people come here to your tasting room, they can get your beer. Where else can they find? Um, in Seattle is. There are a lot of spots there. Um, the masonry usually has some of our beer on draft. No Anchor almost always carries a keg. Teku Tavern is a really great customer. The Shambles just... They told us we just ate at a place three, called... They had, they had three, three kegs. kegs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they got them on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. They were excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we do a Seattle delivery once a month to many different places. But... Um, in this area, our tasting rooms are, is the best spot. There are a couple places up in Bellingham, too. Um, Elizabeth Station always has something. Um, Taylor Shellfish, actually. I should have sent you to Taylor Shellfish, but um, they're just a really awesome oyster spot. They, they, they have, I can't eat oysters, personally, and actually, you don't eat oysters. Oh, I do. Oh, I thought you were a vegetarian. No. Oh, okay. Get over that. All right, cool. The shambles wouldn't have worked either for Yeah, yeah fair. <laughs> Yeah, I don't even. No, they did. No, they do have vegetables. They did. Yeah, I didn't yeah. notice. Okay. But yeah, but uh, Taylor Shellfish always has one of our kegs on. Oh, nice. So. Well, you're telling us about grain. You're telling us about your brewing. I feel like we should start. Tasting oh yeah, some you should taste some here. stuff. So and I know you've brought us out a bunch of different uh, options, uh, different things to taste. Um, wh where do you think we should start? This is probably the tasting order right here. Okay. So y'all should start with this one. This is our dry table mead. Okay. And so mead, it's uh, technically wine, it's honey wine. And mead is essentially honey, water, and yeast. We do some meads with fruit, but most commercial meads tend to be really, really sweet because Absolutely. you're fermenting honey. Right. And we, or they're really strong. So mm -hmm. if you can uh, ferment them out so they're dry, they'll be like 14%, like Viking blood, basically. That seems pretty dry. And that finishes at 998. Okay. So, um, wow. I mean, I'm getting a little sweetness, but it's not at all. Like, it, it's not like what I've experienced with some meads where it really feels like I'm almost drinking no. like a slightly diluted honey. Or, right. Yeah. It feels like uh, like carbonated mineral water at first on the time to me. The first. Someone once called it uh, alcoholic liqueur, which mm -hmm. I'm fine with. I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. drink enough liqueur. There's an effervescent yeah. quality to it. Yeah. I like but that. it's five and a half ABV. It's bone dry. Um, the sweet, the perceived sweetness you get is just because it's honey, and it's made with fireweed honey from a place called the Valley's Buzz, which is in a town called Concrete, um, which is kind of up the mountains a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's just this very pure honey character of it. It's so easy to drink. It's kind of we call it mead for beer drinkers. People who like mead don't like it at all. Yeah, right. If, I but, mean, if you were somebody who chooses mead over beer for what mead usually delivers, I can imagine that this doesn't fit that yeah, bill. But you're right. It's absolutely. Like, it, it is, I think it's fairly dry, um, but I can't believe it's 9.9%. 5.5%. Oh, 5.5. Okay. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Wow, this seems like very light. For the <laughs> 
That's great. And it looks like, I don't know, Chablis or something. Right, it's pretty much clear. Yeah. 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 It, it's something we can make year-round, which is also great. Um, with a lot of, especially the fruit beers, we're kind of bound to that two-week period when the fruit is available. But we can always get the honey. Um, what we do to make it this dry and this light, um, we basically double the traditional honey to water rate or the water to honey ratio. Um, but since everything we make it uses this very complex uh, native mixed yeast culture, that rounds it out. So it's not watery. Okay. It's light, but there's flavor throughout. It doesn't yeah. kind of let you down there. No, not at all. It's really delicious. And so from, from the get-go, did you know you were going to be doing mead along with beer and uh, ciders and wine? Was that always in the That was always plan? part of it, yeah. yeah. Um, and Ron had been homebrewing mead for a while, and this is what he was trying to make. Mm. But homebrewing, it's hard to have that kind of mixed culture that will make it work. Mm -hmm. um, but part of the reason we're called Garden Path Fermentation and not brewery is that it was always part of the plan to ferment everything we possibly could. Right. All right, so next up is the easygoing drink. All right. And, and the easygoing drink is 4.4%, so it's a little too high ABV to be a table beer. Mm -hmm. We're, we're half-heartedly calling it a grisette. We don't we, we had some debate over that just because grisette seems such a trendy term and no one really knows what it means. Uh, <laughs> I have heard the term. I, d yeah. I don't know that I could nail down. Um, I mean, technically it means gray, right? Okay. But um, it's a old school sort of Franco-Belgian style of farmhouse ale that people have read about but uh -huh. hasn't been brewed continuously right. over the ages. So it's all hypothetical what a grisette what actually, it had actually was. tasted like or, um, yeah. But it's, it's become kind of a term to describe a lower ABV farmhouse beer that's still pretty drinkable. Okay. So um, this is a little bit tart. Um, what I think may surprise you about our beers, everything goes into barrels, there's native yeast, it's open fermented. But we're actually trying to explore the softer side of mixed fermentation here. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for balance and subtlety. We don't want to make beers that are sour. We kind of bristle when someone comes in and says, I hear there's a new sour brewery in town, because um, that's not really what we're doing. And we've encountered enough people who will taste our beer and be like, does this still qualify as a sour? It's like, no. Right. <laughs> Is it sour? Um, so there's a little bit of tartness here. You get a little bit of the bread comes from the fooder that it spent some time in. Okay. But it's just something that we make to be light and approachable and just, we make it so we have something to drink, basically. <laughs> right. So the, the, this is truly uh, something for those who work at the brewery, so that you can you can Every relax and enjoy it. and enjoy a beer without necessarily putting you off your game when it comes to work. Exactly. Good. And okay. every brewery ha makes a beer like that. Yeah. yeah. They may not tell you that, but <laughs> but that's this beer. Yes, that is that beer. That's awesome. And and it is one that I think is pretty approachable for people who don't really love or understand mixed fermentation. Um, you get kind of the essence of what yeast can deliver mm -hmm. in this beer, but it, it's approachable. It's not overwhelming. It's not overpowering. Definitely. No, I mean, it, th there's nothing over the top about it. It's all very subtle. It's all very, but flavorful. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. the, I think the, the nice thing is it's, it's not hitting you over the head, but you can sit there and kind of sip it and it just sits on your palate and it kind of has this nice, um, you know, I like the dryness that you get. I think that's probably the Brett, but... Yeah. 
it's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, what we're aiming for, Garrett Oliver, I, it's been attributed to him. I don't know if you ever actually said it, but he said that the best beers are follow the four pint rule, where you have a pint of something, and it's really interesting. When you finish the pint, you're intrigued by it, so you want a second pint. Mm -hmm. By the time you have finish your second pint, you're just you're in. Mm -hmm. you, you get a third because you're just enjoying it so much. And by the time you finish the third, you might as well have a fourth. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, like trying to explore this kind of softer side of mixed fermentation, a lot of barrel-aged beers are over the top in some way. Right. They can be really sour or fruit beers are just kind of punching you in the face or they're really strong. And a lot of them are really great like in a festival setting where you have two ounces and those two ounces are really intriguing, but you don't want to drink more than that. And we kind of want to push this over to the pint side, where you do, you can enjoy a pint of it, and it's going to be every sip is going to give you something new and different, and you don't have to think about it, but you can. Yeah, no, it's it's delicious, um, and and I think as far as that four pint idea goes, I could definitely see myself getting there with that one very quickly. It's I mean it's just yeah. really easy to throw back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you, you've talked about the mixed fermentation, mm -hmm. um, which I feel like some of our listeners will kind of understand, it, but, uh, but I'm hoping maybe you could fill us in a little bit about okay. how you've approached that and what it is that sort of makes, you're saying, you know, you're taking a specific approach to it, like how you have uh, pursued that approach. Okay. Um, so when I refer to mixed fermentation, what I mean is that we don't use single strain yeast in our beer. So most breweries, when they're making a Hefeweizen, for example, will buy Hefeweizen yeast from a lab that is a culture designed to make a Hefeweizen, basically. It gives you that kind of banana and clove flavor. It's predictable. It does what it's supposed to do. Right. And uh, our yeast is a native culture. So it took us about, it was kind of a blessing that it took us so long to find a site because we had a year to prop up this yeast culture. And so it comes from things that grow in this valley. Um, we did some spontaneous fermentation batches in our yard. We had about two months where our kitchen was full of mason jars of wort with just stuff floating in them. Um, so the base of our culture is mostly flowers. There's some berries and there's some spontaneous uh, yeast, but it's all from the valley. And part of the reason that we wanted to move to the Northwest to start this project is that it is such a temperate climate here. It's never too hot, it's never too cold and all of the ingredients for beer grow here. So we expected to get a lot of Saccharomyces in our native yeast culture, Saccharomyces is beer yeast, and it turns out that we got almost entirely Saccharomyces. We have a little bit of our culture banked at a lab in case something goes horribly wrong in there. We have a version that we can go back to that we really like. And they've run some pretty basic tests on it, but they're, they're just like, I don't know how you did this, Just from nature, but you have 99% sack in this culture. You have a lot of different kinds of it. We have a lot of different strains of right. yeast, um, but it's almost all beer yeast. Wow. And the other 1% is what's called acetobacter, which is the bacteria that is responsible for vinegar. 
Um, but Acetobacter doesn't really start to propagate until it's consistently over 70 degrees. And at the brewery we at, at Chester King in Austin, Texas, where we used to work, our biggest expense was AC in the barrel room to try to keep yeah. this giant room full of barrels below 70 degrees so we wouldn't see acido. And here, even when it's in the 80s during the day, which is about as hot as it ever gets, it's in the 50s at night. Mm-hmm. So we don't actually even need temperature control to keep that at bay. That's amazing. That's cool. Um, so we have a lot of different strains that are kind of working together. And the best uh, mixed cultures are basically a community of or- microorganisms that kind of prop each other up and support each other. Um, some people have asked if we, ha- if we want to just take a single strain and make that our yeast strain. But I think what makes our beers unique and what gives them this flavor profile is this community, is different strains popping in at different times to take on different roles. So um, it's kind of unrepeatable, and it is something that's going to change over time. It's a living culture mm-hmm. um, that you know will evolve. It changes over the seasons. Um, it expresses differently in winter than it does in summer, which is something we're still learning. But um, yeah, it, the ability to get this culture that's all yeast and there's no weird bacteria or not weird bacteria that's kind of contributing to it. That's something that's really awesome about being up here. Very cool. This is our wet hop beer. Um, so hops are something really interesting here. They No one's really growing them commercially in Skagit or this side of the mountains. Um, hop growing is in Yakima, which is across the Cascades and it's basically a desert. So it's a totally different climate than what we have here. But before Prohibition, the Western Washington was where hops were grown. And they grow here naturally. Like, you can find them on the side of the road if you're huh. really looking for them. Um, <laughs> but Foraging for hops. You can forage for hops wow. if you really want to. Um, but they're just so expensive to process mm. and to pick. So we have some friends who decided they wanted to play around with hop growing. And when the hops were ready this year, about a dozen of us went and spent eight hours harvesting hops. And we got 100 pounds of hops in eight hours, which is why no one grows them. Um, (laughs) And it's also really painful. Um, Hops burn, and you don't really get the burn on your skin until like much later. Is that right? Delayed reaction. Very delayed reaction. I'm pulling up a picture. This isn't going to help with anything in the podcast, but I'll show you what my arm looked like later that night because it was just terrible. Um, but yeah, hops will grow here. Just no one wants to invest six million dollars in the equipment to pick them and dry them right. and uh, pelletize, especially. So being able to have a hop harvest just five miles from the brewery is a gift that pretty much no one has, and so. We don't actually brew on site at Garden Path. This is my arm. Ah, eek. Yeah. Um, let, let it be known there are like red marks all over her arm where she's, <laughs> she's just shown us the evidence. Um, we, we make our work next door at a brewery called Chuckanut, which is a magical place that does just really traditional German style beers. Mm-hmm. They have a very precise system at their brew house. It's all hard piped and we can't use whole flower hops there. Mm -hmm. So our solution with this 100 pounds of hops that we all injured ourselves to uh, harvest, um, we put them in our cool ship overnight. And cool ship is just a 
anything can be a cool ship, but it's just a flat vessel. Um, back in the day, every brewery would have had one. Um, right now, the last phase of making wort is the boil, right. and you can't pitch yeast into boiling anything because it's going to die. So back in the day, every brewery would have had just like a large flat vessel to expose a lot of the surface area of the wort to the air where it could cool down pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And then they'd move it into barrels and pitch yeast. Um, in Belgium, there's a tradition of using the cool ship for inoculation, right. where you can trap yeast from the air and you don't actually pitch yeast, you just use whatever is natural and wild. And that's primarily what we use our cool ship for, but since we had it and we had these hops, we figured we might as well just use them together. So. Mm -hmm. We filled it up with 100 pounds of fresh hops. We uh, put some wort on top of it and uh, let it go overnight and then blended that liquid back in with the other half of the batch so they co-fermented. Very cool. And so wet hop beers are a big thing in Washington. We were talking about this before. Mm -hmm. um, just because we can do that here. When you harvest hops, you need to use them pretty much within 24 hours or else you lose everything great about having fresh hops. Um, but our wet hop beer, it's fairly divisive because it doesn't actually deliver what anyone else's wet hop beers do. It's right. not super bitter. No, you get not this at all. Really amazing floral note from yeah. the hops, but it drinks dry and clean. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You're right. Like the nose on it, you definitely get some of that, like you say, the floral quality that you would get with some hops. Um, but Oh, I like it. Yeah, I, li I like it a lot. <laughs> but, I can, but I can definitely see how somebody yeah. who's saying, hey, I want your wet hop beer is going to end up feeling like, wait, did you put hops in here? <laughs> did you really wet hop this beer? We, had a, we sent some of this beer out through... Um which is yeah. a, um, a mail, mail order, order yeah. service. And we've gotten some one or like half star reviews on Untapped for it. Oh, wow. And there were like four in a row. And a half star review usually means like something is really, really yeah, wrong with the yeah, beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we took some bottles home and was like, is it infected? Did something go wrong? It's like, no, this is beautiful. It's just not what. Yeah. A hop head is gonna really want. Right, right. That's a tough. It's it's a tough thing to do. I I would imagine that when you're, you know, you're using the ingredients, but you're using them in a way that people aren't used to them being right. used. So that you're you're having to educate people, which is if they come to your tap room, that's easy to do. Right. Like, but if they're ordering this by mail <laughs> and they get it and they just see wet hop beer from Washington State, they're not necessarily gonna take the time to investigate what the what the rationale is, why you're doing it, but it's delicious. And part of the reason that um, we chose the name Garden Path is that our beers kind of take you to an unexpected place. Mm. Um, you might expect them to be super hoppy or sour or right. whatever. And on some of them, the nose even lets you believe that that's yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. But then they kind of take you on an unexpected journey that yeah. um, is still, we think, pretty lovely. I mean. Yeah. I, I, w I would agree. So n not to take us away from beer too much, um, but, you know, you did mention at the beginning that you used to be a professor, and and uh, I'll, I'll out you. You were a media studies professor. Will <laughs> <laughs> bit. Yeah. Um, so, so I know that you've, you, you have a love or an interest in media, mm -hmm. and you talk about this circuitous path that the brewery takes, your circuitous path. Like... It, in your, in I don't know if if you could say at all, like in your current incarnation, what you're doing now and stuff. 
what role does, um, given that we're beer in a movie, what, what mm-hmm. role does media play and in, in how you think about things? I mean, are there any touchstones that you go to? Are there things that um, you're still influenced by that you still think about? I mean, I, I mentioned this like when we were first talking about doing this, but yeah. like David Lynch has become much more important <laughs> in my life than uh, he ever was. Um, I don't know. There's something like, especially with the Twin Peaks revival happening right when we moved to Washington. Yeah, right. Um, you know, Snoqualmie is just an hour and a half south of us. You you could go on a Twin Peaks tour tomorrow. And that's where they actually filmed. That's where they actually filmed. Um, Actually, Laura Palmer's house is on your way home. Wow. It's an Everett. We might have to. Yeah. Yeah, or one of them. I think it's the Fire Walk with Me house. But um, there's something about. Twin Peaks in particular that I don't know I kind of feel the parallel a little bit where like Twin Peaks especially OG Twin Peaks is like this perfect television show at least three quarters of it (laughs) Uh, (laughs) where it's so weird but it's also so approachable and so lovable yeah you know it's so so I guess yeah in a way your brewery right is it's a little weird you're a little Mm -hmm. quirky but it's also very approachable you could sit down with it and I don't think Bob's hiding anywhere here but I mean if (laughs) you never know never know behind a food or something we do have cougars in the woods here Ooh. That's that's interesting. As we were driving up, actually, because uh, you know we're staying in Seattle, and you know it's about an hour-ish north of Seattle to get up here. And as we're driving, um, I didn't, but I was thinking about putting on the Twin Peaks soundtrack there, the Angelo Badalamenti, and yeah, ha- having that real. Uh, maybe we'll do it on our way out. Or, or some Ricky Skaggs. Yeah, that, that would work. <laughs> yeah, for Skagit Valley, right? Um, well, cool. Like, the, 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 I I totally get that. That could that that seems like a nice uh, way to get into uh, the headspace of the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's headspace of everywhere, kind of. Yeah. Like, but we like playing on the duality here. Yeah. Of everything really. Right. Right. Um, and actually, speaking of Twin Peaks, this is our cherry beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, this is the Subtle Blend Montmorency Barrels. Ooh. And um, this is kind of one of our weird takes on how to work with fruit. So Montmorency cherry... <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I can't, I, I'm sorry. I just smelled it. You're loving it? Oh, yeah, it's too just, much. No. No, it's amazing. It's the Subtle Blend. Yeah. It's Subtle Blend. Um, wow. So with we, we have two uh, ways that we work with fruit, and the last beer you're going to taste is the other way. Okay. But um, we like fruit beers where fruit is a team player, where it's not just here is getting punched in the face by a cherry. Um, we want to explore the fermentation character of what we're working with. And so this one is made with Montmorency cherries. Montmorency cherries... I mean, you pick it up on the nose, but Montmorency cherries are basically, they smell like pie spice. Yeah. Um, they have that kind of cinnamon and clove and nutmeg right. note. Um, and they're really, they're tart cherries, but um, they ferment really, really nicely. And actually, mm-hmm. when you're working with fruit, you don't really want sweet fruit to work with. Like dessert apples make bad cider for right, the most part. Right. Um, you want fruit with a lot of aroma because the sugar is going to ferment out no matter what you do with it. Mm-hmm. So Montmorency's are fantastic. It's probably the most common cherry used in beer making. But here we just wanted to sort of get the essence of the cherry in a beer, not just capture you know, all of the cherries together. 
Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, it's fantastic. It's, it's unlike any other cherry beer I've ever had. I mean, a, as you said, I've had some sour cherry mm -hmm. beers. This isn't very sour. I mean, it, as with all the beers we've had, there's like, it's clearly more of a farmhouse or mixed fermentation mm -hmm. approach, but you're not at all getting hit over the head with that kind of acidity that, that um, you would associate with that. And there is this really wonderful fruit quality there that I'm just not used to having ever in a beer. Like, I, I'll get that sweet fruit thing out of certain beers right. where, where they'll blend it, but this, like, there's this essence of fruit that's in there that I just can't remember having had in a beer before. And this is also kind of an interesting beer because it's a really, everything that we make is a blend, mm -hmm. um, and it's a very careful blend. This one actually contains, I think, our first eight batches that really? we ever brewed in some form. Wow. So we blend in the most complicated way ever, and it's so hard to keep <laughs> track of everything. But um, we'll top off barrels. If a barrel's going a little bit awry, we'll just top it off with a little bit of something else. Um, yeah. Some of our fooders are what's called a Solera fooder, where we'll empty some of it and then top it off with something else. So um, if you ask me what hops are in that beer, I basically have to go do calculus. And, you know. <laughs> well, there's 8% this or two. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that one is, is really fun. And the cool thing too is that even though we don't have our own cherry orchard or apple orchard at this point, um, we have an arrangement with uh, Washington State University. They have an agricultural campus in town. And so there's some orchards that they don't have any research money for, so no one's using them. So if we take care of the orchards, we get the fruits. Wow. Um, Very cool. One of our crew is out there pruning today. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yep. And so you do the the harvesting, the, yep. the pulling it. Wow. That's incredible. And it, it's a great arrangement um, because we don't have to, I mean, we're still looking for that magical farm, but yeah. it's a way for us to be farming and have a great source of fruit. Right. So. That's great. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, that is a unique beer and a, one that, I mean, all of these so far have just been excellent, but, but I think all of them too, it's just, they're so easy to drink. Um, there, there's nothing at all, you know, you, you put this like somewhat unusual, but approachable. There's, there's nothing, um, overpowering in any of them. And what was the ABV on that one? That one's stronger. It's, it's deceptive. Yep. I'm surprised. I would not have expected it. That's very tasty. Yeah. We have some, uh, some beers that you would not expect to be as strong as they are. Right. Um, and Part of that is still learning our yeast and learning how efficient it is. Yeah. Um, with the table beer, we were aiming for 3.8. Couldn't quite get there yeah. yet. Um, so we're, we're still learning. We're still figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I mean, I love the approach that you're taking. I love, you know, I love the work that Ron and you were doing with Jester King. It's really great to see you kind of continuing, and I'd say in many ways extending and, and pushing further some of the things you were doing. Um, because it's it's the spirit of experimentation, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's not a right answer here. It's like, let's see what all the possibilities are, it seems like, which that's exciting for me as a beer drinker. That's exactly, <laughs> I, I want to be tasting things that I've never tasted before. The problem we're finding, though, is that subtlety isn't as sexy as extreme. True. Yeah, you were saying that, uh, you know, for, for bottle releases in terms of, you know, where you're going to see people line up, you you have the hazy IPAs and the uh, the barrel-aged yep. stouts. Yeah. Although, I mean, even at Jester King, our, the favorite beers, our favorite beers that, you know, everyone who worked there loved the right. most deeply were the lowest rated. Yeah. 
because um, people wanted like the big fruit. I'm gonna kill my grandmother to get this bottle. Yeah. Here, so. Well, those. I mean, the Petit Prince is is a fantastic beer. It absolutely and is, and it, I think that's still the lowest rated Jester King beer. I'm sure it is. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. It's that. I mean, I, I love all the the others, but that yeah. The, so even people who like like to drink good beer can be stupid about things. That's what I'm <laughs> Like, there's a subset of that knows that this beer is good. Well, it's like saying, you know, being a movie lover that you're going to love all good movies. No, I mean, people have their niches that they want to go. And some people like that extreme of action, and mm -hmm. some people like the extreme of horror or whatever, and they don't really have any interest in, in a really subtle drama or, yeah. or, a, or a more cryptic uh, puzzle film that's going to force them to think harder. You know, I think w you're making puzzle film beers, right? <laughs> you're, gonna ma you're making people sit here and think, like, oh, okay, what am I getting? What they don't have to be, and that's the great no, thing. No, they're like, easy. We're making you're beers right, you're that right. if you're looking for the puzzle film, film it's there. It can be there, right? I'm trying to think of a movie that is a secret puzzle film. Yeah. Where you, you don't realize that there's yeah. more to it. There's that, more to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll have to think of that. I know there's got to be examples. I'm just not. I mean, because Christopher Nolan hits you over the head with puzzles. I right. mean, he just. But you're, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Something right. that's. Yeah, I don't know. Like if he found out the Goonies was actually <laughs> right. Speaking of which, we're not too far from where Goonies. Oh yeah, we were. Place, we right? did uh, some events in Oregon a month or two ago. Ended up in Astoria. Nice. Went to like the jail. <laughs> great. Apparently, you cannot go to the Goonies house anymore, though. Oh, is that because right? Because the person who bought it is an asshole. <laughs> Like they bought the Goonies house, knowing that they knowing were it's buying a Goonies house. the Goonies house. They're buying a cultural landmark. Exactly. They've blocked off the street. They'll like call the police on you if you wow. have your phone out. So it's nutty. So what, what's the next beer? The next beer. beer. Okay. The next beer is our. Uh, it's our tribute to Washington beer drinkers. Um, okay. Basically, everyone when we open is like, so you're going to make an IPA, right? You're, you're going to make an IPA, <laughs> and we. Our, our code name for this when we were doing test batches was anti-PA. <laughs> so it's our interpretation of what IPA was probably like OG back in the day. When, when it, was it was actually on a, a preservative. Yes. And then by the time it was drank, most yes. of the hop character or that over-the-top hop character would have been, yeah. Exactly. So this is, first of all, this is the darkest beer that we've ever made. Um, and part of that is that is because Scadgevelli malting does not roast any malts. So we can't do a stout or a porter. So that's as dark as we can go. But for this one, we filled the whole, the cool ship with dried hops and um, then kind of let it go in barrels for a little bit. And so it's not what an IPA drinker would necessarily want or expect. It, it's gone over pretty well. It's I definitely, I mean, I was going to say, like, it, it's definitely got the hop in character. The context of what we've been drinking. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe that's it, too. But, the, yeah, out of the ones we've had, this is definitely the one that's the most hop forward. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I get what you mean. It's not... It's not a typical Northwest IPA. No. No, but it's delicious. Um, earthy. A little bit... Um, I feel like I'm getting something in there that's... Not quite grassy, but there's something about the hop. What, so, do, what hops do you use with this one? Do you know? Oh, sorry. No, I can Putting look you it on up. the spot. <laughs> it's always a hard question with us because there. Right. I mean, it's also a blend, so. It's got a really nice, luxurious mouth mouthfeel. What and what was the ABV on this one? This was the. Uh, Seven point two. The old school. 
the new 7.2. Um, the hops are Pacific Northwest Simcoe from uh, YCH, Pacific Northwest Whole Flower Sanchin, Whole Flower Sterling, and Whole Flower Cascade from Indie Hops. Nice. Very good. Now you say you're, you're sending out bottles and kegs mm-hmm. in the area. Um, and also a little bit outside the area. A little so bit outside. if we do an event um, in another state, we'll, we'll probably send a pallet okay. to get a little bit of beer in that market. Right. So we were in Florida this weekend. Yeah, I saw um, that. For a festival. And Florida now has some of our beer. Nice. Uh, we have some beer in D.C. right now. Okay. Um, a little bit in Oregon. We're going to be sending some to Colorado next month. Mm-hmm. So never Texas, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, t- t- Texas doesn't make it easy to uh, send your stuff in, no, does it? No. no. Um, in Texas, to register all of our products, it would cost us $7,000 every oh two years. And we don't make enough to make that worthwhile. Right, right. No. Um, and that's something that in Texas we were continually fighting. Right. But still being fought. So the laws here in uh, in Washington, have they been a little more forgiving, a little easier to deal oh with? Or, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are certain things that are we still have to figure out how to navigate. Our tasting room is 21 and over because we have guest products. Oh. And um, the rest of the brewery is fine for children. So if people bring kids, they can run around in there, and that's okay. But we have French wine in here, so God forbid oh, we check the children. Huh. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, Washington is a great state to be a brewer. Um, every year, our uh, Brewers Guild does a legislative hill climb where we go to Olympia and talk to you know, our local legislators about any pressing issues. Mm-hmm. And we did this the first year we were here. We didn't have a brewer yet. Um, and in the sort of rundown meeting beforehand, it was just like, well, they're, everything's good. Just say hi and tell them not to raise taxes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm remembering our Texas hill climbs where it's like, please don't make us shut down. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So it's, that's another reason we're here. Yeah. Um, we basically looked for the climate and being able to source our ingredients right. and also places that are like a little bit more legislatively friendly to breweries. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, they had. Oh, they had. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there was that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't been to Washington, um, just comparing it with, let's say, Texas, there are vape stores in every mini mall in Texas <laughs> where someone's just like, I feel like I should open a vape store and I have no other skills, so I'm going to open a vape store. <laughs> here, here it's weed stores. You don't yeah. really see the vape stores. Not as much, right? right. Yeah. You, you have more lucrative markets available to you exactly. as a Washington uh, entrepreneur. Yes. That's funny. Yeah. Um, well, so that's good to hear. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the, and, and I mean, I know it's because you researched it and it was all part of the plan, but it's it's great that it's playing out that way. And it seems like there's a lot of opportunities here y'all have been able to, to uh, capitalize on. So I hate to say it, but it looks like we only have one beer left. I mean, I can get more if you oh, want. That, that's <laughs> exciting. That's exciting. Um, Let's drink this first. Yeah. Let's do this one. Okay, so this one is the Fruitful Barrel Tayberries and Cherries. And so this is the other kind of extreme for how we use fruit. This mm-hmm. is just all a, a lot of fruit. Okay. Um, and so it was a punch-in, which is a 
very large barrel, 500 liters or so, okay. that we just stuffed with tayberries. Uh, tayberries, by the way, are a real bit. No, one, no one's ever. That's the question we're asking the most here. Um, You're making up berries. What's I have been told that, actually. I was accused <laughs> at a festival of making up tayberries. Um, they are real. They're a hybrid of blackberries and raspberries. Oh. And they were developed in Scotland along the River Tay, which is why the name exists. Um, but they're mostly grown in this area now. I don't know. I've never seen or heard of them anywhere else. But they're huge. They're about like two inches long. Really? They look like the like a Chernobyl blackberry, basically. But they <laughs> they taste a little bit more like a raspberry. Okay. Um, and they're they're kind of interestingly savory. But on its own, that barrel was a little unbalanced. So we blended it with the barrel of cherry beer. Okay. Um, no, a different, yeah. But also with the Montmorency or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this one is very fruit forward. It's a yeah. pretty deep It's a beautiful taste, color. I mean, yeah. But it's not sour. That's what no. you would expect in that kind of fruit beer. Right. Um, the fruit character just expresses itself really nicely, but it's also just super, super easy to drink. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, there are tons of fruit character. But not one note, like you say. I mean, you're getting elements of the raspberry qualities. You're getting mm -hmm. the cherry. You're getting, I mean, I, I guess I'm, yeah, I am picking up some blackberry. There. I mean, it's like kind of a, a fruit salad in a, in a glass. <laughs> in a good way. A we, good way. we didn't know how many uh, crosses between blackberries and raspberries there are. And we're st we still haven't uh, submitted this one for label approval to the federal government. Tayberries are obviously not one of the pre-approved ingredients because no one knows what they are. Is that right? But we're going to try to convince them that it's just, it's just a blackberry. Yeah. You know, that's, okay, that's we'll, all we'll keep it on the DL. We yeah. won't. We won't uh... I doubt the TTB is listening. If you are high, it's a blackberry. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. So I know, and when you were a Jester King, I remember you were doing some events where you were kind of trying to do. I mean, I remember you did a screening of Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. I, out I out absolutely of the did. Yeah. Um, have you done anything like that with Garden Path at this point? Do you have any plans for trying to stage kind of events like that? I would love to. Um, we don't have the best space for it here. Yeah. And the problem in Washington is that summer is the only time it's really okay to be outdoors at night. Right. Um, and we are really far north, so the golden hour for an outdoor movie screening is like 11 o'clock. Yeah. Which is something. I've talked to a local theater about something, but the logistics are really hard. Yeah. So I, I would love to figure something out. The other thing that I really miss about Texas is Alamo Draft House. Yeah. Like, I don't go to movies. I went to movies all the time in Austin. Right. Because they would serve me food and beer. Yeah. And like, I mean, the best screening experience I ever had was a screening of Cabin Boy with Chris Elliott. <laughs> um, well, the movie alone would do that, but seeing it at the draft house, I'm sure yeah, it was, yeah. 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 Um, but Chris Elliott was there. For, oh, wow. Yeah. That, um, oh, I wish I had made the trek up it, for that It was one. pretty amazing. Also, Sam Caligioni, the owner of Dogfish Head, was also there. Really? Um, yeah, well, in a, just, in a, just randomly? He has a film festival in Austin. Oh, he does? Yeah. Oh, the Off-Center Film Festival. Okay. Huh. Um, you got to get hooked up with that. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that year it was a nautical theme. Okay. And 
Sam showed up after a day, a, a day of day drinking on a boat. He was wearing a captain's outfit. And he just got up there for the Q&A as well. Chris Elliott had no idea who he was or why this guy was here. <laughs> That's awesome. And spent the entire Q&A just making fun of Sam Caligioni, which was, and Sam didn't even notice. It was, it was wonderful. That sounds lovely. Wow. So we don't have that here. But no. So there's no, there's happen. no regional chain like that that has. No. Or even and I think single. actually that is one of the problems with Washington beer laws. There's like a beer theater provision, but it has to be a theater of under 150 seats. Oh, that's strange. So well, next time you get together to lobby, you raise your hand. Absolutely. No more just telling them everything's okay. No. No. We need we, Alamo draft house. We need to fix this. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No. We since we. We got an Alamo in Corpus Christi. It, it has greatly improved uh, the movie-going experience. Yeah. yeah, it's been a big, big boost. Well, this has been fantastic. I, I mean, I can't thank you enough um, for sharing all this beer. I mean, I think anybody who's out here in Washington State, certainly, but even these places where you're getting out to, would be doing themselves a huge favor to be trying these beers because they're just fantastic across the board. Um, I don't know. Get anything else, Ethan? <laughs> no, I don't. All right. Okay. Well, thank you, Amber. We appreciate thanks. you uh, spending some time with us and you know yeah, showing for us around. Up to see me. Oh, absolutely. I'm in the middle of nowhere, so it's awesome. This is not far from me. <laughs> That's right. This is a destination.